What was that message about? Ooh, speaking words. Something from the Bible, I know that. I know that, no doubt about that. Somewhere between Genesis and Revelation. Oh, seeing our lives through heaven's eyes. You like that? Amen. Gold star for our sister. <laughs> that was the message from Sunday. And seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Now, uh, before we continue, I just want to invite you to come to our Sunday school, those of you that are free in the morning on Sunday. I know a lot of people are involved in a lot of things, but if you are free, if you can give one extra hour of your time to come and uh, study the Word together, this is our theme. We're going to be wrapping this theme up and starting something new in a a week or two, and uh, we just want to invite you to come to that, treasuring God's Word, loving the book. How many love the book tonight? Amen. That's our adult Sunday school class and college-age students as well. And uh, it's from 9.30 to 10.45. Amen. That's my announcement tonight. All right. Praise the Lord. Okay. I'd like us to look tonight at... uh, Well, what we were looking at a few weeks ago, we were looking at the story of a strange little character in the Old Testament. His name started with an M. Who can pronounce it? Well, I guess it's up there for you. Can you pronounce it for me? Mephibosheth. And, you know, there's just a whole uh, ending to this story that we did. I kind of just saved to last. And I, I wasn't sure if we'd be able to get back into it. But I, I just feel it's, it's still in line with what God is speaking to us. The Lord spoke to us uh, a couple weeks ago about the difference between favor and God's mercy. Uh, Through the story of uh, Mephibosheth, we can clearly see what God's mercy is all about. And uh, it's a beautiful picture. You know, the Old Testament, the Bible itself is not just a book of history. It's a book of life. Can you say amen to that? And every one of these stories in the Old Testament, it's not just Sunday school stories. It's not just history that you read and say, well, that was just a really nice story. I like that story of David and Goliath. That's really wonderful. No, no, no. God has put it there. In fact, interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at this with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians 10. I shared this in our Sunday school class on Sunday too, how all of those things, all that's been written... All of it that's been written from Genesis through Revelation, everything in God's word was written for you and I. And it says here, it was written for our admonition in verse 11. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them. Now, you've got to understand this. Okay, the Old Testament's all about the Jews. In fact, even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Christ, the Gospels, uh, even that is centered around the Jewish environment there. And all of these things happened unto them for us. We're a special people living in the day in which we're living. Everybody say that together. I'm a special person in God's plan. That's right. And, And it says here, all of these things happened unto them for examples. They had no idea what was going on. Even things David sang about in Psalms. He sang those things and he praised God. But many of those things, I'm sure he sat down after he wrote it all down. He goes, whoa, what is all that about? The Bible says the Old Testament saints and the prophets, they longed to look into the things that are freely given to us. David says, what what am I writing about? Psalm 22, a prophecy about Jesus. And and David had no idea. But through the Spirit, speaking things, all the things that happened unto them and all that was written was for us upon, let's read this last part together, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Let's read that once again. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Do you believe you belong to that group of people tonight? Amen. So these stories in the Old Testament, they're not just to be taken lightly and, you know, considered and say, well, there's a good moral lesson for us. And no, no, no. These are living examples that we can, the Holy Spirit can lift right off the pages and give it feet so it can jump into our lives and become life inside of us. Can you say amen? All right. Well, I, I love the Old Testament. I love reading the stories and seeing the things that are there. But what we were looking at concerning Mephibosheth, and I want to go back, just look at a few of the, um, 
Uh, maybe if you could skip to slide number seven, it might be a little easier just to start right there. Slide number seven, I think that's the right number there. We were talking about uh, this, myth, uh, this mercy and uh, the mercy of God, which is the chesed, and that's covenant love. And everything that, that, uh, uh, that was happening, everything that was happening for Mephibosheth was something that was based on a covenant that David had made with Jonathan, who was Mephibosheth's father. Some of you may not have been with us for those last couple of weeks, but the whole story is based on this little boy of great tragedy. He, at five years of age, his nurse drops him because uh, uh, the news has come that King Saul is dead and, and uh, Ishbosheth, which was Saul's son, uh, he is also dead and all kinds of problems. And the nurse picked up this five-year-old little boy, began to run. She drops him. And I wouldn't doubt that the rest of his life and this nurse or whoever else was around Mephibosheth told him, hey, this all happened to you because of that mean King David. Now he's on the throne. Our descendants should be on that throne, but David's on that throne. King, da- He shouldn't be there. We should be there. And this happened to you, Mephibosheth, because of that evil King David. And we found how Mephibosheth, he, he lived out in a place called Lodibar, a place of no pasture, a useless, worthless place. He was crippled. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything. And I'm sure he grew up in tremendous fear of King David, always wondering, when is that king going to find me? When is that king going to find me? Because he realized and I'm sure he understood that you know, David had been persecuted for years by Mephibosheth's own grandfather and his armies, King Saul. And so now that King David is on the throne, surely King David wants to kill him. So he's living in absolute fear, hiding out. Instead of living in a palace, he's hiding out in a place called Lodibar in misery in poverty, being crippled, unable to walk on his own, living in fear of that day when King David is going to send his mighty men to go fetch him and, and, and bring death and destruction to him. That's the way Mephibosheth, what Mephibosheth was. That's the way he was for years. Well, when David got on the throne and after David's kingdom was established, David has this question. Maybe we can put it up there on the screen. His question was from 2 Samuel chapter 9, and this is where the story really begins here. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1, David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, David had made a covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan was King Saul's son who should have been on the throne. After his father, but both Jonathan and Saul had died in battle. Well, David and Jonathan had entered into a covenant, a very important covenant, even in God's eyes, something honored by God. And we talked about how uh, this covenant that David made with Jonathan was that David would take care of uh, Mephibosheth's, I'm sorry, David would take care of Jonathan's descendants. And that's the story. That's how it begins. So David is now on the throne and he's looking around. Who can I show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And uh, what we read is Ziba, who was a servant from the household of Saul. Ziba. Everybody say Ziba. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, but it sounds good to me. Ziba. Ziba was a servant in the household of Saul and he just happened to be hanging around. We're going to learn something about Ziba towards the end here today. It's very interesting. But Ziba just happened to be hanging around, and he heard what David was saying, that David wanted to show kindness to someone in the family of Jonathan. So he says, oh, I know somebody. His name is Mephibosheth. Go to the next screen also. Again, David makes this statement. You can put the verse down there. In verse 3 of 2 Samuel 9, and the king, that's David, he said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? One of the things we discussed, and we won't take time tonight to go into it, but how covenants between man and man, God takes those very seriously. We explained how marriage is a covenant. 
It's not a contract. How many married people understand it and how many unmarried people understand? Marriage is not a contract. It's not based on, well, if you do this, then that means I can call it an end. Marriage is a covenant. What's the, how do we say the vows? Until what? Yeah, when you're there at the altar before God and you're saying, and you're saying well, uh, is this how the vows go? I don't know. Maybe, down, maybe nowadays they do it different. Uh, but I can't recall any wedding I've been to where the vows sound like this. You know, I will faithfully be your husband until death do we part unless... You do this, or you do that, or you don't take care of that, or you don't clean up, or you don't follow my instructions, or you disobey me. I never hear anything like that in vows. Anybody heard of, been to a wedding like that where you've heard all the conditions? I've never heard anything like that. I, I don't know. Maybe they're doing that nowadays. I wouldn't doubt it. Hollywood, I'm sure, they don't even care about marriage anymore. But the fact is this, is that marriage is a covenant until death do we part. And it's a man-to-man covenant, but God stands there and honors it. And we talked about, even this is very clear, in in the Old Testament, there was a covenant that Joshua made with a certain group of people called the Gibeonites. Go to the next screen here. I think it's the next screen. And and, uh, you can see, just bring it on down there. You can see in 2 Samuel 21, there was a famine in the days of David for three years. And David asked the Lord, why? Is there a famine? I mean, what have we done wrong, Lord? Why aren't we enjoying the bounty that we're supposed to enjoy? And God answered very clearly. It's because of Saul and his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. Who in the world are the Gibeonites? Well, you can make a note of it. It's Joshua chapter 9. We won't look at it. But Joshua 9, the Gibeonites actually tricked the Israelites. They actually lied about who they were. And they said they were from a far country. They just come to came and to make peace with the Israelites. But the fact is, they were inhabitants of the land of Canaan, whom the Israelites were commissioned to destroy. God had told the Israelites, destroy these seven nations. Well, the Gibeonites were there in that land. They knew trouble was coming, so they deceived. They walked in, they put on old clothes, they had crusty bread, and they came to Jonathan, I mean to Joshua in Joshua chapter 9, and they said, please, you know, we're, we want to be your servants. Please, we, would just, we know God is with you. We want to, you know, don't do us any harm. And the Bible says clearly that Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. Read it in Joshua 9 when you get a chance. Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord. He looked at the circumstances. Yeah, they're from a far country. I can tell by their clothes. They want to, they you know, be servants to us. And that's wonderful. And he made a covenant with them that he would not hurt or harm them. And he didn't ask the Lord. It says very clearly there. Some people say, well, if I didn't get married, no, that marriage wasn't of God doesn't work like that. How many understand that? Well, I didn't get married in the Lord, so this marriage doesn't count. I can marry someone else. No, 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 no. Marriage, whether you were saved or unsaved, it's a covenant before God. Can I hear amen? All right. Now, you can renew your vows in church. That's an awesome thing to do, but covenant, marriage is a covenant that stands before God. Joshua didn't even ask God permission, but he made a covenant with someone he should have never made a covenant with. Well, later on, Joshua found out who these people were, and he had to honor. 400 years later, when Saul is on the throne, he's all zealous for God, destroying people. He doesn't regard that covenant that Joshua made 400 years previous, and he starts to destroy, he starts to kill these Gibeonites. Well, it didn't even happen in the days of Saul because he had enough trouble coming his way. But when David became king, famine existed because Saul had broken a covenant by killing the Gibeonites, a covenant that he didn't even make 400 years previous. But God was holding the children of Israel to that covenant. Isn't that interesting? Everybody says, amen. See, because God keeps his word and he expects us to keep our word too. By his grace, we can do it. Amen? But this is just an important understanding how God honors covenant. We also should understand more about how God is going to keep his covenant with us. Can you say amen? All right. So this is the whole idea here. But go to the next screen. <clears throat> if we can there. Uh, I think this is verse 2. Uh, and the king called the Gibeonites... 
and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to, sought to slay them in his zeal. So very interesting story there. Okay, go to the next screen. But just understanding about covenants, it's important for us to see when God made a covenant with his son Jesus... It's a covenant that stands regardless of how you and I live, think, or act. His covenant with Jesus stands. Can you say amen to that? It's a powerful covenant through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Well, what all happens in this story, we've talked about it already before, but what, when, when uh, go to the next screen, please. When David found out from Ziba, who was a servant in the household of Saul, when David found out from Ziba that, that uh, uh, there was someone from the family of Saul, one of Saul's own sons named Mephibosheth, who was still alive because most of them had been killed or, or something had happened to them. When he found out there was one still alive, David said this. Go to the next screen, please. What does David say? Verse 5. Then King David sent, and everybody say, fetched. Fetched. David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. And we talked about fetching grace. How many thank God that he fetched you? And I was thinking about this a little bit more. We, we do really need to understand something. Now, we sang a song a little bit ago. We sang it on Sunday too. I know who I am. And there's... There's a quite a unique paradox in the Christian life, and this is something we see even in the story of Mephibosheth, is that you and I are worthy of eternal punishment in hell. Can you say amen? Yet, he makes us one of the king's children. Does that negate or does that change the fact that we're worthy of hell? No. But these two truths exist we're sinners worthy of eternal judgments, and yet he's brought us to his table. You know what's unique? That even after Jesus rose from the dead, the miracle of the resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead. Notice that there was no body left in that tomb. He rose up from the dead. And, and when Thomas wanted to see him, or actually even before that, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, what did he tell him to do with his hands and his side? He said, put your hands here, touch my side. And they were able to see the actual wounds in Jesus and touch and see, yes, it was Christ. Well, if the miracle of resurrection took that dead body of Jesus and raised it up, made it an immortal body, why didn't God take care of the scars in the hands and the scar in the side? Why didn't God take care of that? Do you know why? For all of eternity, we're going to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Can I hear a hallelujah? So there's these two, two truths. We need to see. Well, we need to know who we are. We need to know that we're children of the king. Can you say that with me? I'm a child of the king. And I'm living in the king's house. And all that the king has is for me. <laughs> we know that truth. But the other side is... I'm a Mephibosheth. What does Mephibosheth mean? Breathing out shame. I'm a shameful thing. That's still true. We're still sinners, saved by grace. That's an interest. In fact, the more you understand where you came from, listen to this now, the more you understand the depths that God lifted you out from, the better you can understand the heights of where he wants to take you. You know, a lot of churches are emphasizing and they'll talk about, you know, who we are in Christ. And we can get all psyched up about that. But it's very shallow if we don't know where we came from. Can you say amen? Because we're living in a country where we, we know our rights. We have rights. You violate my rights, I'll sue you. That's how we live nowadays, isn't it? That's how, that's how people live today. You know, we know our rights. So we have rights and all of that. And so when they hear a message of who we are in Christ and they just take that part of it and they leave out the other side, what happens? Very shallow Christianity. 
Bible talks about the dimensions of God's love. Do you know what the dimensions of God's love are? Look with me in Ephesians. Beautiful scripture. Ephesians chapter 3. Bible study in itself. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He says, I, in verse 14, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend. Everybody say comprehend. With all saints. Everybody say with all saints. Guess what? You can't comprehend God's love living on your own. You got to be together with the saints because iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? We need each other to see the kind of things that really are in our life. Right. May be able to comprehend with all saints. And here's the four dimensions of God's love. The breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. A four-dimensional love. There's the breadth, there's the length of God's love. He's, he loved you before you were born. Can you say amen? He's going to love you till the end. Amen? There's the breadth of God's love. He loves everyone exactly the same. The width or the breadth of his love. There is no difference. God is not partial. Then there's the, the, the depth of God's love. And the more you understand the depth of God's love, where he brought you from, the clearer you understand where he brought you from, the better you'll be able to comprehend where he's going to take you. The more you understand the depth, the better you'll understand the heights. One without the other is emptiness and shallow Christianity. So we need to see that we are just a Mephibosheth. We are like what the word means. Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. That's where we come from. That's never going to change all throughout eternity. We're always going to have that awareness because of what Christ did of where we came from. But we're also going to remember and see what he's done in us. Bible says in that he's going to, uh, throughout all of eternity, he's going to show forth through all of eternity. In Ephesians 2, he's going to show all that he's done by his grace in our lives. In other words, we're going to be trophies that God sits up in heaven saying, this is what my grace did for that person. He's, anybody have trophies in your home? I have a trophy that I got in fourth grade. Hmm. I got third place in punt. Pass and kick. <laughs> Football. Third place. I got it. Threw the furthest, kicked the farthest, punted the best. Well, almost the best. Boy, that's sitting in my house. I remember fourth grade. Yes, I do. But you know, in eternity, you and I will be trophies where God says, Look, look at this man. Look what I did in his life. Look at that woman. Look what my grace did for her. Look what my grace did for him. We're trophies of God's grace. Don't disappoint him. Amen? All right. Let's continue on here with uh, talking about this fetching grace of God. Where See, what David did is he sent men. He didn't go personally, but he sent men to fetch Mephibosheth. And we talked about that fetching grace. And, and I was thinking a little bit about that grace today, about a story in the old, in, in, in the gospel of Mark. If you can turn to Mark chapter 2 with me, starting with, um, oh, I think it's verse 3. Uh, or, or, let me see here. Mark chapter 2. And we talked about how, well, if you and I have been brought, it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 3, it says, and they came unto him, This is uh, four men that came to Jesus, and they brought someone who was sick of the palsy, a paralyzed man. It means that man couldn't come by himself, right? And he was born of four. It means four people were burying him or carrying him. Go to the next verse. 
And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. In other words, they jumped up on top of the roof. He was in, Jesus was in a house. They couldn't get to him because there were so many people. So they climbed up the roof, broke up the tiles of the roof, and they took some ropes, and they let down the bed of that paralyzed man right in front of Jesus. Well, what, is, what happens? What's the next verse say? Verse 5. And when Jesus saw, notice that next word. When Jesus saw what? Whose faith? Who's there? It's the four men who were carrying him. When he saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Do you see in that verse? And if we can go back to the PowerPoint, I have it there also. You can see in this verse how important it is for you and I to bring souls to Jesus. If God saved us by his grace... We need to go fetch other people and bring them into God's house also. Can you say amen? Consider the fetching grace of God. Okay, go to the next screen if you can. They came unto him. That's the verse we just read there. He saw their faith. Amen. Go to the next screen. Another scripture we mentioned last week. I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Fetching grace of God. Romans 1.14, Paul says, I'm a debtor. Everybody say that with me. I am a debtor. Not to a credit card, not to a bank, not to a person. Who are we debtors to? We're debtors to show the fetching grace to other people. Can you say amen? All right. Let's go to our next screen. And we talked about this. We'll just put these up there one more time. Uh, our unstates, again, well, I want to emphasize, I feel the main thought I want to bring forth tonight is that unless we realize where we came from and continue considering that, we'll never really understand the heights, the change, the transformation, the privileges that God wants to give us in Christ. Our unstate, look at this again. First of all, we were unable to come to Christ by ourselves, totally unable. Like that paralyzed man, it took someone else to bring you and I to Christ. You may not know who that person was. In heaven, you'll find out. God will show you. Our next unstate, unwilling. Mephibosheth was totally unwilling to come to David because of fear. He didn't trust David. He thought David was going to do him harm. Totally misled. You and I were in the same situation, totally misled about who God was and what his plan was for us. Unwilling to come, but thank God for fetching grace. Third state, unwilling, unworthy. He deserved us. You and I also are totally, totally unworthy. Go to the next screen and uh, reminding you of what took place in 2 Samuel chapter 9. After David fetched Mephibosheth, there are seven events of grace that I want to bring your attention to. And you can do with these points what you want. We won't spend much time on them. But I want you to consider. I think each one is worthy of a Bible study in itself. But I'm just going to give you a, uh, something to... Uh, what I like to do is, is, to show, is to make you hungry for more. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay. First of all, when Mephibosheth was brought into the king's palace, the first thing he did was fell on his face. You know, it's important for us to know how to fall on our face too. Not just when we come to Christ, but we need to spend a bit more time there keeping our heart broken before him. Amen. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Second event of grace, David broke the silence first. It wasn't Mephibosheth who called out to David. It was David who called out to Mephibosheth. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. The third event of grace. Oh, I like this one. Everybody read this with me. David calls out his name. Oh, salvation so personal, so totally personal and individual. God knows just, he knows your name. He knows everything about you. David called his name out. Well, the fourth point's important too. What did Mephibosheth do? He acknowledged his name. We need to come to truth. We need to confess truth. Acknowledging who you are. Lord, I, I'm not worthy. I'm Mephibosheth. I'm a shameful thing. He could have given another name. He could have given some other better name than the one he had. 
But he chose to say, yes, I'm Mephibosheth. The next thing, what does David say to Mephibosheth? Fear not. Fear not. Finally, sixth, David says, I will. Well, I would like to take time on this one, but uh, just our time is short tonight. But the whole new covenant that God has made for us in Christ. The old covenant that was made between the, 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 Jew, the Israelites and God through Moses at Mount Sinai, that old covenant was based on what the people said. When God gave them the commandments, they said, okay, here's our covenant with you, basically. In so many words, they said, you know, just tell us what to do and we will do it. Well, did that work for them? Did the Israelites follow through with what their covenant statement was? Tell us what to do, Moses. You go find out from God. Give us the commandments and we will do it. That was the old covenant based on what we can do. But the new covenant is based on what he will do in us. Can you say amen to that? It's everything he does in us. And David says, I will. I will do this. I will do that. The Bible says the promises of God are not maybe. The promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus unto the glory of God by us. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. What does Mephibosheth say? Oh, I like this. Mephibosheth says, he says, who am I? Doesn't that kind of sound so, you know, so opposite? You know, what we have Two statements we've got to make. Lord, who am I? What am I? I'm nothing but a dead dog. I'm a flea on a dog's back. Who am I? And on the other hand, I know who I am. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? But we need both in our lives. Or we're just going to have a very shallow Christian life. There are several scriptures. Let me just throw a few of them out to you here. Um, Job chapter 7, verse 17. Job is going through the trial of his life. He makes a lot of statements that sound kind of doubtful, and he seems to curse everything except God. He curses the day he was born, curses everything around him, you know, but he blesses God. But in spite of all that, he made some profound statements of faith, and he said, you know, I know my Redeemer lives. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. He made some statements of faith in his relationship with God. But in Job 7, he says this, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him? Now listen to this. And that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him. Oh, I like verse 18 too. Don't leave out verse 18. And that thou shouldest visit him every morning. How many thank God for his visitations every morning? But how many of you like the next part? And try him every moment. We often, you know, complain about our trials and problems we go through. But think about it this way. Imagine all the time uh, in God's mind, he's designing things to allow us to go through so he can make us what he wants us to be. He's designing events in your life, in my life, thinking it all through. Job didn't understand even the half of it. We see much more in the Word of God than Job ever did. And how much more we should be able to say, God, we're not worthy to go through this time of testing. (laughs) We're not worthy to be tried by you like this. But thank you for it, because I know you set your heart upon me. Read verse 17 again. What is man that that thou shouldest magnify him and that you should set your heart upon him. Think about that. All right. And uh, so Mephibosheth says, who am I? You'll see that many times in scriptures. That's a study all by itself. Let me show you a few more points here in the next screen. When David was done, this is what, when David was done bringing Mephibosheth into that covenant relationship with himself, these are the benefits. These are the portion, this is the portion that Mephibosheth received. First of all, Life, right? Mephibosheth was expecting death, but he got life. Secondly, peace, security, 
shalom, peace, security. Third, inheritance. Not, God, David says, restore unto him all that was his father's. It all belongs to him now. Finally, I mean, a fourth thing, daily bounty at the king's table, at the banqueting table. He was able to sit with the king's sons. He couldn't even get up on the chair by himself, but he was able to sit there with the king's sons. Amen? All right, and finally, an honored position as one of the king's sons. Think about that. But there's one more thing I want to show you in closing today, because this puts the icing on the cake. And if you will, um, and if you would see in your script, in, in, in the Bible from 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 19, this will be our next screen, if you can just put that very first part of it there. 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 19. This is a very unique story concerning David's life. David had a son named Absalom. And there's much to say about that. I trust if you're interested, take some time, read 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 19. And what you'll find is that Absalom, he rebelled against his own father, David. And this had been going on for years. He had been winning people's hearts and trying to get them to look more at him than his own father. Absalom, people began to look up to him. And finally, Absalom blew the trumpet and said, okay, I'm king now. And it's interesting, David's response. David did not rise up in fights. He left Jerusalem. Look with me in in 2 Samuel 15. David knew what surrender to God is more than many of us today understand. David was the rightful king, and yet... When Saul persecuted him, he felt convicted because he tried to smite Saul. And here again, he's the rightful king, but his own son has rebelled and risen up against him. In 2 Samuel 15, what happened here is that the priests, when they knew that David was leaving Jerusalem, the priests were on David's side because David was on the priest's side. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the temple, out of the place where David had it, the tabernacle of David. They brought it to David and they said, you know, we bring in the Ark of Covenant with you, David. And what does David say about that? Look with me in 2 Samuel 15, verse 25. And the king said unto Zadok, the priest, carry back the Ark of God into the city, city of Jerusalem, if I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord Everybody say favor. Favor. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it, the ark, and his habitation. Verse 26. But if God thus say, I have no delight in David, behold, here am I. Let him do unto me as seemeth good unto him. He wasn't afraid to cast himself upon God and let God choose, was he? Beautiful heart of surrender. Well, in this situation, and we'll wrap it up with a little bit here, uh, back to the PowerPoint, what happens is that during this time, I'm just summarizing as much as I can because I want you to see something else about Mephibosheth that's very precious. And what took place in our second point here is that as David is fleeing from Jerusalem, all of a sudden, Ziba comes to him. Remember who Ziba was? A servant of the household of Saul. Ziba comes running to David and says, here I am. Strange character. And David said you know, to Ziba, well, where's Mephibosheth? Where, where's he at? Where's your, where's your master? Remember uh, that David had told Ziba and all the other servants to serve Mephibosheth, part of the restoration of Mephibosheth's, Mephibosheth's life. And, Ziba, uh, and then Ziba tells a tremendous lie to King David. Ziba says, oh, you see, you don't know, you don't really know who Mephibosheth is. Mephibosheth, when he found out, when Mephibosheth found out that you were cast out of Jerusalem, you know what that scoundrel did? He said, oh, now God is going to give the rightful throne to me and my family once again. So you see, Mephibosheth, he stayed back in Jerusalem just waiting to be seated seated upon that throne. Well, that's what he told David. 
So David's thinking, wow, I did so much for Mephibosheth, and this is how he's treating me? So he told Ziba. He said, Ziba, okay, everything that I gave to Mephibosheth of, of inheritance, it's all yours now. You can keep it. David didn't know whether he was telling the truth or not. He assumed, I mean, where is Mephibosheth anyway? He didn't come following after David when David left Jerusalem. So he believes the story. Well, chapters go on, and there's some war that takes place. Absalom ends up getting his hair caught in a tree. <laughs> Interesting story. Read it, and you get a chance. Well, and finally in the end, if you turn with me to chapter 19, finally in the end, David, of course, is able to go back to Jerusalem. God did show favor, and unfortunately, and David cried. He wept when Absalom uh, was killed. He didn't wish that at all. That was something his men did. David had no interest in doing that. But when David comes back to Jerusalem, guess who comes to meet him? Well, let's read it here. In 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 24, it says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, actually the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. From the, excuse me, from the day that king, that the king departed until the day that he came again in peace. And then verse 25, and it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not with me, Mephibosheth? He's, of course, he had heard what Ziba said about Mephibosheth. Verse 26, And Mephibosheth answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. Verse 27, And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Excuse me. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. <laughs> I know the rest of the story. That's why I'm touched. <laughs> Let me keep reading it to you. All right. For all of my father's house were but dead men. Excuse me. Before my lord the king, yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right, therefore, what right, therefore, have I yet to cry any more to the king? Do you ever find yourself crying to the king because you don't get what you want? Hmm. He knew where he came from, didn't he? Verse 29. Listen to what David says to Mephibosheth. And the king said unto Mephibosheth, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? This sounds kind of harsh. Then he says this. Okay, whatever it is, let me just put some words there so you can get the idea here. Whatever, you're, you know, whatever this is between you and Ziba, I don't want to deal with it. Just divide the inheritance. I mean, you take half and let Ziba take I don't know who's telling me the truth. You take half and let, Mef uh, and let Ziba take the other half. I don't care about these matters anymore. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But what that did is provoke truth out of the mouth of Mephibosheth. Look at the next verse. Let's read this together. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, what? Let him, What? Take all. <laughs> Did you catch that? Do you see what's happening there? Remember when Solomon, after he became king, there was two women that came to him and they were arguing about whose baby it was. And because one of the, they both had babies and the one had rolling over on hers and it had died. And, and so when she woke up, I guess one of them had taken the other woman's baby and they came to the king and said, oh, you know, I don't know how they couldn't recognize how their baby looked. I can't figure that out. But at any rate, Sol Solomon's there and these two women come and they're arguing, whose baby is this anyway? Do you remember what Saul said? I'm sorry, Solomon said. Remember what Solomon said? 
Okay, we'll figure this, uh, we'll figure this out here. I, I, I don't know who's telling me the truth. I don't know whose baby this is. You know, they didn't have DNA testing back then. I don't know whose baby this is. Bring a sword. Well, cut the baby in half so you can both have a piece. And what did the woman, what did one of the women, one of the women says, yeah, yeah, bring the sword. And what did the other one say? No, 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 she can have him. Kind of showed the true heart, didn't it? Wisdom of Solomon. And we see that here in his father, David, saying, go ahead and divide the inheritance. And what was Mephibosheth's answer? Let's read it again. Yea, let him take all. What right do I as, uh, uh, as, one, as a servant of Mephibosheth that I am? Why should I cry anymore to the king? Let's all stand tonight. There's a tremendous paradox in these scriptures, a tremendous truth in these verses. Like we were sharing earlier, unless we understand where we came from, unless we understand the pit we were dug out of, we'll never understand who we are in Christ. Or we can claim the verses, I am this and I am that, and I deserve this and I deserve... We can do all that. And, you know, a lot of Christians are out there proclaiming what they deserve in Christ. And, and true, we do... We, you know, God's promised us things. Can you say amen? Yeah, he's promised us great and precious promises. He's promised us the land. He's promised us victory. He's promised us healing. He's promised us everything. <laughs> but when we get the attitude that, God, you better give it to me, We've missed something. Our Christianity has no depth. No depth to it. To understand God's favor, we need to understand God's mercy. I am forgiven. I just want to sing this song again. I sang it earlier. It really touched my heart. I am forgiven. How's it go? <laughs> uh, think a little lower. What key is that? What key is that? D. 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 <laughs> G. I am forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. I am accepted. You were condemned I am alive and well Your spirit lives within me Because you died and rose again Amazing love Amazing love How can it be Yes You my king die a picture of Mephibosheth singing this song to David. You are my king. You see him sit. Can you see Mephibosheth sitting at that table and just looking over at King David and loving him? You are my 
Lord, it's a great mystery how you can love us like you do. How you can lift us up out of that shameful place of no pasture, Lodi Bar, and who we are. Who are we, Lord? Worse than a dead dog, we're just a dead flea on the dead dog's back. And yet you loved us and you brought us with your fetching grace to that banqueting table. Oh, God, help us as we sit there at that table and enjoy so much. Help us not forget where you brought us from. Help us not be so ashamed that we don't want to show our face at the table because you love us just the way you are. But, Lord, you love us too much to leave us like that. You're going to change us through your grace, through your bounty, daily bounty. You're going to make us worthy of that throne one day, Lord, by your grace, not our works, by your grace. But we'll always remember what you did for us, Jesus. You are our king. We want to keep our eyes upon you, Lord. We have no right to cry unto our king anymore. Lord, we're yours. We give ourselves to you. Thank you for doing with our lives what pleases you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your people tonight. I thank you for letting these words just be words of encouragement and strength, Lord. Things, precious things you're doing here in this church. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.